on the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Hello, and welcome to Ain't Shit Going On Business. Sorry, I meant, I meant White Sox business. We are back in the lab for the first time in a week. Cam is in Kansas. I'm your host, Tom Fernelli, and joining me today is the original coronavirus, the Athletics White Sox reporter, James Fegan. And as I mentioned, also joining us today is Cam, who took last week off because he finally hit puberty and it freaked him out. James, do you have any advice for Cam now that he's officially a man? Uh, what you're feeling is normal. Uh, what you're feeling is, uh, it's real and you're validated. And, uh, I'm a ramming man. And you're a ramming man. <laughs> Ton of sex. I'm I'm not surprised that I had the over under on 30 seconds before Cam did a drop simply because he wasn't around to do 50 of them in our episode last week. So I hope you, I'm glad you're getting it out of your system quickly, buddy. I'm a ramming man. <laughs> uh, again, we we were last with you last week. Oh, by the way, we have a have a very special interview. Should we tell them who the interview is with? Although they probably read it in the episode description, so I guess the surprise is gone. I don't know. Pretend like it isn't. Okay, well, we have a special interview coming up later in the show that we just finished recording. It was very fun. I hope you find it enjoyable. But before we get to that, uh, we're going to talk about Jake Berger, who, James, during this time of nothing, you recently were able to catch up with. You wrote a story about it for The Athletic about, you know, Jake's battle with depression following his multiple injuries that have pretty much cost him the first few years of his professional career since the White Sox took him in the first round of the 2017 draft. That's really been the last, you know, sustained baseball acts that he's had. He was hurt the next year. He's been out for the most part. He blew his Achilles in the spring. He then re-blew the Achilles while rehabbing from the first one. And then last year he had a foot injury. But I think one of the more important things that you brought up, you know, like with his battling depression because of it is that you forget because we view this like if you're a fan like maybe not for you james because you're with the players a lot so you know you know that they're human beings but i feel like for fans a lot of the time when it comes to sports the people who play the sports the play the games are just kind of viewed as you know avatars or commodities that people are supposed to win the games for us and you forget that these are people who are suffering really not just physical injuries. These have a mental toll. Like he told you that after he blew the Achilles for the second time, he was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder from what he's feeling from knowing he's had to go through the injury again. Yeah, I feel like part of that, it was just the seemingly senseless nature of it. It's almost like the, the first one wasn't as bad. Well, was, I'm sure it was deeply painful and a huge side bet, uh, you know, uh, setback. The second one just kind of happening randomly while he's at his house and just not really knowing what to expect next or if it's going to keep happening or if he's going to keep getting injuries or if he's not going to be able to like, live a normal life because his Achilles is going to blow out and then not have like any rhyme or reason to it. Um, that, was, that was something that dealt with him. And he, as bad as that was, he almost said it was pretty much it was easier or easier to identify both the cause and when it was happening, when he was having these like anxiety attacks. Um, than it was to just realize that he was depressed and the fact that like his career was just getting stalled and having these reaggravations or soreness that would shut him down and keep him from getting back and, and being playing alongside all the guys he was drafted with that he expected to go through the minors with, realizing that that was kind of leading to a larger depression that he also had to address um, uh, was almost even even harder, even though the, the PTSD was very much out loud and uh, very easy to recognize. But yeah, um, I think... It was kind of known for a while that 
everyone wanted to update uh, about Jake Berger, both reporters and obviously fans kept, you know, demanding it, but it was understood that this was a really difficult time for him, that, you know, you're, you have these huge expectations for you uh, as a first round pick, and you also have these ambitions that you just want to succeed and be great. And to have this two years where he's just on the shelf and dealing with a major injury and asking him all these questions, whether he's going to be able to come back to the same degree, you kind of wanted it to be time for him that he felt like talking rather than pestering a guy who's at a really dark point. So when he puts out the tweet that he put two weeks ago saying that he's kind of, you know, he's still in the organization, he's still working back, he actually feels physically better than ever, and he's in a good place, that was when you really wanted to kind of, and I know when I wanted to reach out and say, uh, you know, how can you talk about your journey? And, you know, he was very open about it. And, yeah, I I think he, Jake was uh, always a really fun personality and always really open on Twitter and always just kind of, like, talking about, Premier League soccer all the time, or some movies you went to, and I feel what like what is that he a pro- White Sox podcast talking about Premier League all the time? <laughs> that probably, especially when that's if he's hitting three fifty with thirty bombs, I think that rightly gets uh, interpreted as a fun personality and a very like outgoing and, and, and guy who has similar interests to the normal people. Is not just you know always thinking about swing pass and whatnot, but when he's hurt, I feel like it got misread a lot as being just like, well, he doesn't care about getting back. Because people just thought of him as, if unless you're delivering what people expect in terms of just the baseball outcomes they want for their favorite team, all your personal mm-hmm. stuff becomes very much like a distraction to to what they want out of you. So he actually went dark on Twitter for a long time um, because he kind of got that feedback of people thinking that he wasn't working towards it. When really it's it's almost like he can't because you, you can't put stress on his leg that needs to heal and really didn't really get to the point of being pain-free until just this January, and now he's on this point where he felt like he was a broken camp with an affiliate and definitely will now, And you know, unless there's another setback, uh, based on where he is with this running progression, the fact that he's able to field. And, you know, he's really able to hit and take BP once he's at really any stage of uh, his rehab that's remotely stable. So he doesn't feel like he's really lost too much in terms of swing rhythm. Um, but... Mostly he's at this point where he feels like he can really be open about where he's gone through and, and in a great place mentally. The fact that like physically it seems to have all clicked together for him a little bit and he's finally free of all the aggravations, that's just kind of a bonus. And you know, I obviously I don't think we think of the White Sox in the same way of, you know, if you ask me in twenty twenty what the lineup would look like in twenty twenty, maybe Jake Berger, somebody who considered, you know, three years ago as someone who'd be in position right now to be the third baseman on the White Sox roster. Obviously, we don't think about him in the same way right now, but the fact that he can kind of any any forward momentum and, and have something that he can salvage out of his career and really have a shot or give himself a fair shot to see if his uh, his hitting acumen can bring him to the levels, um, that, that's great for him because obviously he's been through a lot. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it'd be great for him. It'd be great for the White Sox because, again, this is, you know, a first-round pick who they really haven't been able to get anything out of because of injury. So for him for his well-being to be able to be healthy and stay healthy and just get back into the rhythm of playing baseball for the White Sox, where hopefully he's not only healthy and playing, but he's somebody who, you know, lives up to the reasoning that they took him with the 11th pick in the first round. Because, you know, this is this is a dude that, you know, he can hit the ball very hard and very far, and he has that kind of power that, you know, never goes out of style in the game of baseball. So hopefully, in a way... 
even having this extra time off since he's able to stay in Glendale and work out at the facility while other players haven't been able to because he's rehabbing. Hopefully, in a way, this kind of has a silver lining for his career and his ability to get back and back on the field soon. And it would be great for the White Sox that he does. And when he does get back on the field and he's playing for the White Sox, Jason Benetti will be calling his games. But before Jason Benetti calls a Jake Berger game, he sat down with us for an interview on White Sox Business. We now welcome a very special guest to White Sox Business, a first-time guest. It's It's been too long. You've heard him on here a million times, thank to Cam's drop. But uh, Jason Benetti, welcome to White Sox Business. Uh, thanks, Tom. I, I feel like I should be walking by James in the Cleveland Indians press box lobby, but I'm not. I'm just at home. Uh, I mean, do you, do you ever really want to walk too close to James, honestly? Uh, you know, it's a great point. Social distancing has its benefits. James, James, you are ground zero. I feel like uh, coronavirus. Rick saw me in that same lobby and proceeded to run like a post-corner pattern away from me. <laughs> Did he catch the pass? Was it a touchdown? Uh, he got looked off and they went to the primary receiver. Tough. So, again, thank you for joining us. And I've got a very important question for you to start off our little interview here. Um, so, like, what the hell are you doing? Because you call every sport in existence for the most part, and now there are no sports to call. So, how are you keeping yourself from going insane? That's a real good question that fluctuates in terms of its success on a daily basis and my sanity. Uh, let's see. What am I doing? I have burned through uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I had watched most of the episodes, but I did it again. Uh, McMillions, I would uh, say, is a, a great idea for anybody who likes intrigue and grew up in the 90s. Uh, I am in season eight of Seinfeld in a rewatch of Seinfeld. And then, I, you know, I've got a couple other projects I'm, I'm writing on the side just for fun. I'm uh, managing my anxiety level while home alone, uh, which is a, a, an hourly wage job. And uh, no, I'm just like, I'm... I'm trying to take this as the free time that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. But if you watched uh, the Up in the Air movie with George Clooney and when he got taken off the road uh, and then he was just in his little apartment in Omaha that he only had for stopovers, uh, it's kind of like that, but without Anna Kendrick. <laughs> Which, I was going to ask who the Anna Kendrick is in this situation. Yeah, that, we're still casting for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I do, James and I both work in sports, and for James, I feel like it's somewhat on the same kind of level as you are, although not to the same degree. But I, I cover you know college football, but for the most part, I'm home most of the time anyway. So for me, the not traveling has not been a huge deal. But I feel like for a guy like you or another, you know, Chicago and Adam Amin, who's like I feel like is at the airport every day of his life it's just got to be something that's so difficult to adjust to and not just having something to do but always having a place to be and now being you know at home all the time yeah i think adam and i are gonna like go into business together and open a sbarro that just travels to make people feel <laughs> like they're traveling Ooh, you guys yeah like a food truck but like a social distancing food truck <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and like a food truck that belongs in an airport. I feel like maybe it'll be like a Cinnabon or something. So Chuck Garfine could find a friend inside the airport that he's currently at as we record this. 
I worked at so, the Notre Dame Food Mart Sabaros for three years. Did you really? It? Yeah. There's garlic butter under my confused. fingernails that will never come out, probably. Did you meet a lot of nice people, at least? Sure. <laughs> that was so chipper. That was amazingly chipper. I'm so excited to be here because James is so excited to have worked at that Sbarro and just uh, ladled out ZD for people. Is yep. James as dour when you're with him on a daily basis as he is on the podcast? Uh, there's a, there's a, like a little, um, the hello seems a little strained sometimes. And I think it's just that James is sometimes forlorn. And I, I hope that's not the case because I enjoy his writing very much, but sometimes hello seems difficult. I feel like uncle Leo right now. You don't say hello. <laughs> James, say hello to Jason. H- Hi, Jason. How, how are you? See, this, this that was a how- forlorn hello. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point in time, I have, like, two really long stories on deck, and I have a ton of anxiety about what's going to be the third and fourth, which is pretty much what I'm like during a season, so I guess it's pretty normal. Yeah, that sounds that sounds normal and good and healthy. <laughs> yeah. James was built for this stuff. <laughs> All right, so we bet, I bet you, you know how much you're doing, just career-wise, assuming sports ever starts up again. Is doing multiple sports like you do because you know you you do the White Sox, but you also you're doing college basketball, you're doing college football. You've done what else? Is that it? You've done more than that. Uh, yeah, I did the uh, National Electricians Championships the last two years. Um, did you do? <laughs> no, I How did. was that? I, Who won? I honestly did. America won. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. R- routinely, it's college football, college basketball, and I did a little fill in with the Bulls this year, just uh, as Neil was was finishing up his his season. So, do you is doing multiple sports something you want to keep doing, or is this is your goal ultimately to just settle down to just be like the White Sox play by play guy, or just do a one sport at some point? I, I I love doing games. Like I I have not found anything vocationally that it brings me the joy of calling games, and in large part, it's because. When you sit down, whoever you're working with is kind of like a guide and a teammate and and somebody who you trust implicitly and completely. Even if you don't, you have to because you're both going the same direction. And the that's what I'm missing most, I've found, from this whole ordeal the, the past couple of weeks and then beyond is just the ability to strike up a conversation with somebody over a game that you don't know where it's going and then the fun that that creates and the joy and the spark. And, and I've not found any way to duplicate that. So long answer, but I want to do as many sports as people will allow me to just because like, if I didn't do the stuff at ESPN, I wouldn't have gotten to know Bill Walton and I've gotten to know Dan Dockich and Robbie Hummel and Kelly Stoffer and Rod Gilmore and the lacrosse guys who've been our sideline reporters, Paul Carcaterra and Quint Kesnick and Chris Button. And now I'm doing like an Oscar speech. But it's important to me because these people have become friends simply by virtue of talking about a game together. You mentioned Dan Dockich, and I, I 
Dockage is one of those people to me as far as calling games that I feel like I want to not like, but I always enjoy when he's calling a game that I'm watching because I feel like he's super smart and I feel like a lot of people kind of get him too confused for his Twitter persona. So who who is the real Dan Dockage? <laughs> All the other Slim Shadies are just imitating. So <laughs> won't the real Dan Dockage please stand up? Uh my thing about Dan is he is such a wonderful friend and a giving, charitable person. And I know his Twitter persona and I know what's happened on his radio show at points. And I know people get hung up on that and rightfully so if they want to. But I, anytime somebody asks me about Dan in an interview on the street, whatever it is. Remember when we had chance encounters on the street? That was no. Fun. So, uh Dan is a great person who wants the people around him to be better. I would I would send my kid to play for Dan. I know he's got that persona online and he's mad online and whatever, but like he is such a generous person who sees the game of basketball so smartly and so well. Like he's one of the top game analysts in the country any sport. And then in terms of a partner and a friend, He's he's right up there with the best I know. Um, since Tom did not read the question as exactly as I phrased it, would the <laughs> idea of dying mid-broadcast at age 112, calling what would then be the Big 29 ba- basketball tournament, be a, a, a beautiful death for you? Dying mid-game. Well, James... Uh, <laughs> Thank you for asking such an uplifting question with rays of sunlight sneaking through the cumulus clouds in the sky. Jolly old Uh, James strikes again. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Uh, He's gone from forlorn to fivelorn somehow. Uh, I was just trying to view projects down the road. Yeah, like death (laughs) mid-game sounds like a great project. Uh, No, I mean... I'd, I don't know anywhere I'd rather be than on the air doing a game with a great crew. I'd prefer not to have the trauma of the Howard Beale death. Uh, but it, seem, you know. it seems like the crustier concern is what would happen for the rest of the broadcast. So I guess end of game would probably be more suitable. Yeah, but the thing <laughs> is, people like kids watch these things, right? I don't want kids to be watching like the Illini against the Badgers and have me croak. That's not <laughs> ideal. I don't enjoy that idea. And and yes, Wisconsin will still be running the swing offense <laughs> when I die 112 years from now. Yeah, because Hawk used to talk about wanting to die in the booth, and I was like, no. That was the inspiration for the the, the idea. I'm I'm trying to draw from our greater, uh, you know, predecessors. That would be traumatic as hell. There's cleanup, and then, like, if that – could you – I'm just thinking about, like, somebody actually dying mid-broadcast. Like, there's there's a lot that would have to happen, right? Like, the game wouldn't stop because (laughs) nobody would know. And so, like, you'd be like, the three to – and then your partner would be like, Stoney would be like, well, seems as though Jason has died. Well, cause especially with Hawk, because he would talk about it all the time. And there would be those periods where he'd go silent or like he'd be gone and Steve would be doing the like the inning alone. And you'd be sitting there like you knew he was still alive because you figured they'd say something. But there's in the back of your mind, you're like, did, did it happen? This was his plan. Did Hawk die in the booth and Steve's just being a freaking pro right now? What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. Like. 
Yes, yes, uh, the show must go on is the pro move to beat all pro moves. But, like, if I died mid-game, I would kind of hope my partner would be like, oh, we should do a tribute. He just reaches over and grabs your fries. <laughs> right, right. Or they take the booth camera. The director's like, ready to? Take two. And they take the booth camera, and they're like, well, it's a solo show now. And then, like, there's a there's a graphic comes on the screen. It says, like, Jason Benetti, deceased. And then Stone Age just takes over. Well, I feel like baseball allows for a rhythm of, like, you know, Jason was a friend, a champion of the industry. Fastball outside runs a count 2-1. <laughs> I always appreciated him. You know, that, that type of thing. Honestly, oh, Ricky's not that's happy a- with that call. <laughs> While Ricky's boys may not quit, Jason's heart has. Um... This is uh, James. As you said that, there's a great stand-up bit there, right? Like eulogies mid-baseball game. <laughs> like baseball announcer delivers eulogy and mixes in random baseball-y things. Like two one is fouled away. Two and two. Mrs. Anderson was a tremendous. Like it does. It does have that nice rhythm to it. This is nice. This is morbid, huh? Jeez. <laughs> well, I had another uplifting one. What Go if you did it. die? <laughs> Well, I feel like covering spring training, you talk to all these guys about what they're kind of excited for for the season or what they've been building for. Like even somebody who maybe like doesn't even wear his heart on his sleeve necessarily like Yohan Moncada. Like I thought about the fact that he was like really dedicated to playing 162 games this season and pretty much no matter what, he can't do that. So like all these little like heartbreaks like come into my mind as I like I look down a White Sox roster so, like, what were you excited for for this season, or what kind of story were you really looking forward to or, or seeing play out? Because I can think of, like, 25. Yeah, me too. I mean, I was kind of interested in the whole uh, Wizard of Oz routine that was going to happen, where, like, you know, Dorothy's walking along the yellow brick road, and you pick up the Scarecrow, and you pick up the Tin Man, like... Michael Kopech shows up at some point whenever it was, and Carlos Rodon shows up at some point whenever it was, and the deadline hits, and you're like, wow, the Sox maybe have added this year. You know, there was that feeling of like, hey, come along, everybody, let's see where this thing goes, and then Luis Robert like self-actualizes and gets better over the course of the season. I was looking forward to that growth, and we're going to have to see it in much more condensed fashion. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be odd, but uh, I think also, uh, we're going to have different storylines brought to you by a condensed season as well. So I, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. I I mean, that's the hope, (laughs) but I, you know, we're rooting for science at this point with that, but I, I do have, uh, as you were saying that James, I, I, I don't remember who it was, but I went up to somebody, uh, and like just said the stock phrase like so how was your summer as you would say to somebody on the first day of seventh grade and they were like what are you talking about like it was winter and i was like oh oh that okay uh that <laughs> that didn't go as planned <laughs> i just like that james is pumping you for story ideas on the podcast so jason what were you looking forward to this year he's taking notes open your notebook please yeah yeah there are certain times when you don't want to have to go to the doctor's office to get help for a medical condition if you're dealing with a condition like ed you want treatment asap 
That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. How was the how was the summer? How was the winter? It was an exciting winter for the White Sox and White Sox fans, which is you know yet another reason why everything that's happened has been a bummer. But other than the, the extension of your partner Steve Stone, not like the best or the most important. But what do you think? What was your to you? What was the biggest move the White Sox made over the winter? I thought it was right away getting Yasmani Grandal. Uh, because I know not, this is not the only reason for this, but I know a lot of Sox fans were like really mad that Yasmani Grandal didn't show up last year. The year I before. was one, yeah, right, right, and rightfully so. Like he's a very good player and he's an All Star, and you'd like to have him. But the fact that the Sox, the timing number one, the player himself number two, and the signal that that combination sent, I thought was a really nice trampoline for the Sox offseason, and it was like, all right, we're going, let's go, let's make this happen. And so that that one, to me, was a number one just because of the the sign it sent. Yeah, I, I, I was upset about them not getting Grandall in 2018, but to to be fair, I think the James McCann signing, which I, I think if, you, if I remember White Sox Twitter was universally panned when that was announced, that one turned out to be a good move, and now the White Sox have gone from being a team that had a lot of questions behind the plate to probably, if you look around, a very envious situation at catcher in that they have Grandall, but they also have McCann as their backup, who was literally an all-star last season. Yeah, it's a top five catching situation in baseball as I scan the rosters. I, I think you can make an argument for top five and maybe even better than that, and don't forget your mean Mercedes, who Chuck Garfine has a fifty-page story about. I think he's meeting him Maybe at the airport. That's why right Chuck's now. at the airport. Yeah, he's gonna go. He misses your mean. They're like meeting up somewhere. It, it literally it conjures the phrase "more answers than questions" for the first time I can think of. <laughs> uh, are they new and troubling questions, or are they the same questions as before? No, I meant the White Sox catching situation. Oh, yeah, that's that's good. That's good use of raises more answers than wait, did I flip it? Well, I'm new to phrases. All the momentum is gone now. So, uh, yeah, I, mm. listen, all our brains are melting anyway. We've got nothing. It's been how long? We're done, we're all just melting away over here. I saw somebody I saw somebody tweet the other day like I'm afraid we're using our best stuff early in this deal. <laughs> <laughs> I was excited like, yeah, but... to uh see Basically, the city and I guess maybe Chicago media broader to get a feel for Yasmani's extremely dry sense of humor because he just like deadpans a lot of these lines like really perfectly. And I think it would be funny watching people adjust to it because if you pay attention, like he's being really funny, but he'll say stuff like, well, ask him like what Ronaldo Lopez was throwing. He's like, oh, yeah, we don't talk pitches here. 
and just kind of stares at you for like 20 seconds <laughs> and then proceeds to like run off like 10 pitches that he feels Ronaldo's throws and like variants of it and all that. And he's like the most like insightful, like guy you can talk to on the roster, but he'll, he'll just like stonewall you and he'll like hold it really well. And I don't know, as someone who likes to deadpan people and show a lack of enthusiasm at all times, I really admired it. And it was another skill he brought to the table. Yeah, he's still like we're t- the thing is we're talking about all this because we don't know what's going to happen like like we're never going to see these people play and I do think there's a like there's a strong chance we'll see some version of baseball this year but I I as you're saying that I love the idea of somebody who doesn't show up in the clubhouse very often getting that answer leaving and just being like that guy's a jerk. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Who James? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> nice. So, uh, when baseball hopefully will return soon, how do you think you know you'll conceive of your job differently when it does? Uh, I get this sense that people just when the door is open and the sun's out and it's warm and we can like talk to people we don't know. Uh, that there's just going to be this instinct to give everybody uh, like the safest but most enthusiastic high five that's ever been. And so I think as somebody who was a freshman in college at 9-11 and watched in the state but not the city of New York, uh, but was around so many Yankee and Met fans and people who had friends and family who worked in the towers, uh, and knowing what baseball did at that point and how important it was, uh, I see baseball and this version of the White Sox and all these young, talented players as sort of healing for a city and a fan base and for people who just want to go outside. And so I think our ability to have something to root for and cheer for rather than a flattening of a curve is going to be really um, psychologically healthy and important because we're going to be a signal, even if there are empty stadiums at the outset, we're going to be a signal of something you can gather over and talk about that's not stress and anxiety. And so, I I mean, when Danny Farquhar had his situation two years ago now uh, and had the whole uh, medical issue the day after that being around the clubhouse and the batting cage, uh, James knows like there was a lot of talk of mortality and morbidity. And it was just a strange, strange moment, but the humanity is what comes through. And so I, I tend to think just the understanding of people and why baseball is important is going to shine through even more. And, you know, I, I never really had time for people, and I understand why they did it, for people who were like, well, you and Stoney laugh too much, or you talk about stuff that's not the game. That's what baseball is. Like, you want to go to a game and have a laugh and have some fun and enjoy the people around you. And I, I'd give anything to be able to do that right now. So I, I think we will feel like everybody else feels in that we're sort of healing. You, know, you mentioned it. I will say this, to be honest with you, just I'm already, you know, not having White Sox games right now 
when there should be White Sox games going on has kind of sucked. And just honest to God, just talking to you and hearing your voice is kind of providing some therapy that I'm missing from not having White Sox games. See, that that's that's amazing to me and heartwarming. And like, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that because some days – I even feel like, well, what what am I doing to to help everybody? Like, wh- why why can I not do more? Like, why didn't I go be a doctor? That sort of thing. And and in part, that's like I, I've been doing these messages on Twitter that people have sent me DMs of, and just reading messages to loved ones. And it, it's sort of like you realize why baseball matters. It's because people spend so much time with me and the team and Stoney and everybody. And it becomes an extended second family that like you can yell at even louder because they're in your television. And so I'm, I'm honored that you say that. And anybody who feels that way, if I can be of that help, I'm, I'm happy to. I don't feel the same way about James. I, uh, I don't, I don't think I've watched like <laughs> I haven't watched watched like a ton of old games, but um, when I think is the the Lottie Giants I don't know how you say the name of the South Korean like baseball team, but when they had like they put their like inner squad practices on YouTube, I've been finding myself put it on because putting it on because like the the idea of like just baseball happening in the background, the sound of it just seems like familiar in, in a, a way that uh, normal. Mm-hmm. And as someone whose voice has been in the background a lot <laughs> across the city, um, I don't know, is there anything you do or anything sports-wise that's more normal that you seek out to, I don't know, calm yourself? It's hard for me to watch sports right now. Uh, and it's because I want it back so badly. Like, I love doing it. And, and the thing that's so heartbreaking is not being around people. Because my job uh, gets me around people who I can be collaborative and creative with on a day-to-day basis, whether it's dinner before a game or whatever. And I just, like, I hurt for the loss of that. I've sort of been grieving that uh, for a couple of weeks. So it's been hard for me to watch sports simply because of that, because I don't get to collaborate with people. Um on on sports so i've I've been watching more sitcoms and documentaries and things like that and stuff that can kind of take my mind off of it Uh, well i have one question here for you i need to ask well literally every one of my questions has brought him down so please take over yeah this is gonna ask you a very serious question Uh uh-oh uh just who the hell do you think you are that you could flout the order of operations when it comes to Sox math? Does this, does this reflect a deeper nihilism or just a distaste for the natural order of things? Let's see. Let's, <laughs> how deep is my nihilism this 30th of March 2020? An essay uh, by Jason Benetti. <laughs> yeah, you got two choices when you do math as trivia. You can follow order of operations and have people be like, uh, why is it not in order? Or you can, you can, you know, I, I got the first year we did it. My first year, I got a Facebook message from my high school geometry teacher saying, it's okay that I didn't follow order of operations. And so when Mrs. Franklin told me that I didn't follow order of uh, order of operations and it's okay, 
I was okay with it. And I don't mention it enough. And I do get tweets every once in a while. They're like, what are you And they say that and it doesn't even make a full sentence. And uh, so I think I'm okay with the fact that you think I'm deeply nihilistic and <laughs> have a distaste for general Euclidean principles and things like that. Um, yeah. It just it's easier that way. The the complaints would be significantly more substantial if it followed order of operations. And if you notice, recently SoxMath has been sort of X multiplied by Y plus A minus B. So mm-hmm. if you put the multiplication first, then the um the rabble uh who does not like losing mathematical dogma can be quiet because the multiplication comes first yeah just as a somewhat of a math nerd even though i yeah i I, I get it (laughs) 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 no it always drove me nuts like when you first started doing it i was like no that is not the answer (laughs) (laughs) but so yeah i think at least the way that the question is framed where it's written instead of being the actual, you know, math problem. Okay. I think that that's a nice workaround for the order of operations. But in the back of my mind, this is not the playful there. disagreement you prefaced it as when you put this on. on here. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm no, this stupid. is this is a new segment called both shallow and pedantic. <laughs> Wow. Now I'm going to go cry. <laughs> you no, 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 no. Crying with us is therapeutic. Like it will help everybody if you just cry into the headset or microphone or whatever you got. All right, well, here's another question for you then. I, you mentioned the the videos that you've been doing on Twitter to respond to people sending you DMs. I noticed in the background of a lot of those videos is a copy of Infinite Jest. So I have to ask you, have you read it? Or like 99% of the people who say they've read it, did you just start it and say you finished it? Would you like me to be like oddly nerdy flexing right now, or do you? Wh- what, I want you to what's be honest. I thought that was kind of your thing. Yeah, I want you oh, to yeah, be that's that's a great point, James. <laughs> Boy, you absolutely nailed the core of me. Um, I've read it twice. Wow! Damn. Yeah. I started it. I think I got about a hundred and twenty pages in, and I just said, "Man, I can't do it. I can't." I've looked at it several times. Yeah, it is like a charcoal briquette to carry around. Uh, the um, uh, the first time I read, you have to read it with two bookmarks because you have to do the end notes live because they're sort of part of the journey. See, that's just, that's the thing for me. I couldn't get yeah through that. Yeah, David Foster Wallace, uh, who has obviously passed away. Um, is such a genius in his ability and was in his ability to write in so many different tenors. And his his vocabulary is amazing. Like every time I read the book, I'm like, wow, I don't know anything about this language because this is just so fantastically vivid and beautiful and has these characters that are so fleshed out but ironic. And it's, I don't know, I, I, I love it dearly. And I got even more excited when um, six months ago or so, I realized that um, Mike Schur, who did a Sox game with us in August, uh, the creator of The Good Place in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Moe's from The Office, uh, owned the the option for the Infinite Jest movie. 
I don't know if he still does, but like I would absolutely watch Mike Shore and his uh, image of what Infinite Jets the movie is. And there's also in the book, there is a scene where these kids play a game about the world ending called Eschaton and it's on a tennis court and they just like hit tennis balls onto each other's countries. It's like a live action risk almost, but more mathematically oriented. And do you know the band, the Decembrists? Yes. Yes. So the Decembrists have a song called Calamity Song and Mike Schur conceived of the music video for Calamity Song, which is set to, uh, these kids playing Eschaton from Infinite Jest at the Tennis Academy where it is set. So uh, it's like all these worlds colliding. Uh, it's a, That's a short way of saying I adore Infinite Jest greatly. Maybe I'll give it another shot, although I just I don't know if I have the mental, mental strength. Although, again, right now might be the best time to try. Do it. Absolutely. Let's Infinite Jest book club it up. Let's do it. We'll do a whole series of podcasts. We'll, we'll meet for each chapter. No, <laughs> five million podcasts. <laughs> and now end note number 942. There's one end note. Like you, you flip all these pages to get to the end notes and there's one end note that says no idea. It's like dialogue. <laughs> and he writes like he has no idea what they're talking about. I don't know. I wrote it last night. I went to bed and now I don't remember. No yeah, idea. no clue. No clue. Jason, is there a single shorter book or show recommendation that you would give our listeners as a closing bit to get through the quarantine so when i've been down before i've watched parks and rec because i think it's joyful and leslie's so earnest and the characters are beautiful and they're all friendly and i i i enjoy parks and rec quite a bit um in terms, uh, something I recently watched, I mentioned it earlier, but McMillions on HBO Now, the documentary about the McDonald's Monopoly game that was mm-hmm. essentially rigged, uh, is awesome. It's six parts. You'll love it. And then then uh, Tuesday will happen <laughs> because you'll, you'll be done with it. <laughs> um, but I, I also like Better Call Saul is a jam of mine. I think yep. it's great. Uh, cinematically, maybe even more beautiful than Breaking Bad. And then, uh, 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 shoot, what's the name of the book? I, I think it's called Game of Inches. Um, it's about the development of all these rules in base, like every rule or custom we have in baseball. It's, it's, it reads somewhat like an encyclopedia, but also has uh, narrative. And it's where it's where I go if I have questions about the history of a rule or like where the when the first curveball happened. It's it's uh, got all of these stories about baseball and the development of rules and customs. And I would uh, I would definitely advise having that around. Awesome. Well, I will I will check that out. It's called Game of Inches. I believe so. I'm gonna Google it real fast. So if you could vamp for a while. All right. Yeah, James. It's, it's got a different subheading that there's another game of interest that's not about baseball, but game of interest is stories behind the innovations that shaped baseball. That's the one. Yeah, I was by just Peter hoping Morris. James would. I was just hoping James would do his impression of Al Pacino in any given Sunday, given that we fight for that inch speech. But I guess does not. game of inches exist within the Game of Thrones larger universe? <laughs> 
I gotta go. I <laughs> then the last chapter probably sucks if it does. All right. Well, Jason, seriously, thank you very much for joining us. And I was I was sincere. Just listening to you talk has provided me therapy for the last half hour. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. And hopefully we can have you back on the show again in the future. And hopefully we'll have actual White Sox baseball to talk about when we do. I would absolutely adore that. I cannot wait for that to happen. Thank you, Jason. You mean baseball, not the podcast, right? Well, but if, if the podcast is happening, then we have baseball. So, like, you guys are part and parcel to baseball coming back. Oh. Well, again, thank you again for coming on. And uh, just, you know, day at a time, man. We're going to get through this. We are. We are. I'd like to thank Jason again for taking time out of his very busy schedule these days to join us on the podcast. And James, we fucked up. We did not have him declare that we are a better podcast than White Sox Talk. <laughs> well, I, I just, you know, some things are just kind of universal truths that don't need to be spoken. Yeah, I mean, it didn't need to be we said. Need them to, you can, we need you him can, to say the sky is blue? You need to say that? No, no, that's, that's a good point. He knew. He knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. You know, he mentioned a, a documentary, McMillions, at the end there, something to watch. And speaking of documentaries, James, have you have you watched Tiger King on Netflix yet? Uh, I've watched like an episode and a half of McMillions, but not Tiger King, no. All right. Well, everybody is watching Tiger King, and everybody's talking about Tiger King. And there's actually a law now that says if you have a podcast... You have to talk about Tiger King. So guess what I'm going to do? Talk about cookies and cream ice cream? No, but that sounds good. Let's talk about that instead. No, we're going to talk about Tiger King. And here's the thing that you need to know, James, if you have not fully finished watching it yet. Here's what you need to know about what you're putting yourself into. Okay? Tiger King isn't very good. All right. It's incredibly popular. And everybody's talking about how crazy it all is. And they're right. The people the documentary focuses on have some serious issues. And you said you watched the first episode and a half. I No. First not, episode. I, I watched the first episode and a half of McMillions. I have not seen a second of Tiger King. Oh, Day. I'm sorry. My bad. Do but, you listen? Okay, so if you do... No? I mean, you talk all the time. I can't listen to every word you say, James, okay? It's not all about James all the time, all right? It's about Tiger King. And when you do sit down to watch Tiger King, the first episode's boring. Like, it's very boring. But it's basically just providing context for, you know, who the people are that you're going to learn about during the series. Or, you know, at least that's what you think at the time. Because you find out as you go along, you don't really learn anything new about these people. In fact, important people in the story aren't even introduced until later episodes. Which is just bad storytelling, but it's done purposely because they need to stretch out the story, because this is going to lead to a little side rant within the rant. Netflix is fucking killing documentaries, man. Originally, most documentaries were like 90-minute to maybe three-hour movies, right? And you had like your Ken Burns-style PBS docs that would be like 10 episodes long, some of those episodes over an hour apiece. But 
a Ken Burns documentary takes you deep into a story. Because like with baseball or the Civil War, that's not a story that could be properly told in a few hours. You need to dive in. But now every single fucking documentary has to be a series. It has to be a mini series. It can't just be a solo documentary. Netflix wants at least six episodes. So these things get stretched out beyond belief. And they're all done in a style that has a quote unquote cliffhanger at the end of each episode. So you click on play next episode immediately after it ends. And before you know it, you've been up to three a.m. with your mom and your girlfriend in Kansas watching the entire thing, and you convince yourself you did so because you enjoyed it. But the truth is that you enjoyed it like a meth head enjoys meth. Now, yeah, back to yeah, the Tiger yeah. King. You're like back in my day, a cliffhanger meant you had to wait a week, not yeah, you know, twelve seconds. But no, a cliffhanger was in like a TV show, like a, a scripted television right. show with with like a story. These documentaries aren't, you know, it's there's not 50 fucking different cliffhangers in a goddamn documentary. It's a telling you what happened. But again, they're ruining documentaries because they're turning them into reality TV shows. And essentially, that's what Tiger King is. After a while, you just feel like you're watching a circus sideshow. And it was more of a TLC reality show than a documentary. One that was designed to allow people to point at others and laugh at them so they could feel better about themselves. That's it. That's the whole fucking point. That's why everybody likes the Tiger King, because it allows them to mock idiots. The fucking documentary includes a kid who was basically seduced into marrying Joe Exotic, who is the main character, because he provided the kid with drugs. And that kid accidentally, at least I think it was accidental, because, again, the documentary doesn't really do a good job of making it clear. But that kid accidentally kills himself by blowing his brains out. And they show footage of it, or at least they show footage of a guy in the office with him when it happened reacting to it. Yet I've had people come to me describing Tiger King as more of a comedy than a documentary. Mm-hmm. It's a sad fucking story full of sad lost people who are being exploited for our personal entertainment. I mean, one of the main witnesses in the fucking documentary who's in it from the first episode, and if he leaves, I think he's gone after episode three or four, but he's a some sleazeball TV producer who was there in the first place to make a shitty reality show about the fucking lunatics at the zoo, and that's what became because of the documentary. Oh, yeah, the zoo. I mentioned the zoo. The person who made the documentary, Eric Good, originally set out to do a story or a documentary on the people who are running these zoos with exotic animals in the United States and how there are so many of them in the country that most of us aren't even aware of. That's a documentary worth exploring. Yet, that idea was seduced into being like a fucking five-hour episode of Jerry Springer. If not for the quarantine and everybody being stuck at home, Tiger King would never receive this much attention, nor would it be seen as something that was worth your time. But time is all anybody has right now, so they're compelled to convince themselves they're spending it wisely. But Tiger King's not worth it. So, James, if you haven't watched it yet, don't start. It's not worth it. You really turned me off. And I'd have more to add on this, but uh, you know, I think if we keep Cam here longer, he will starve to death. And <laughs> it will have to wait at least a day until a new producer is assigned that makes us completely forget about Cam ever existing. Also, I will say McMillions does kind of fall in line with what I was ranting about in that it's good. Don't get me wrong. McMillions is a million times better than Tiger King is. It's just there is filler because they felt the need to stretch that out to six episodes as well. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Cam Cam is on a hard out here. It's a busy time in Kansas. Everybody's really busy right now. Cam has things to do. So (laughs) before we go, we're going to get to shout outs. I am going to shout out Luis Vizcaino because you mentioned, you know, during our interview with Benetti, like you've been watching old games, Jason says he hasn't been watching sports. 
I have been watching like the 2005 White Sox games as they're being played while doing work, just like as you said, as like something baseball in the background to help you know ease yourself through just for a sense of normalcy. And literally, I basically forgot about Luis Viscaino. <laughs> Because when you we think of the White Sox bullpen in 2005, you know, you think of Bobby Jenks, who came in the middle of the season, Dustin Hermanson, who was a big time closer for him during the early part of the season after Shingo sucked. But then you mostly think of like Cliff Pleat and Neil Kotz, who had amazing career seasons. But Viscaino was a huge part of that bullpen, who threw more innings than all of them. And while he didn't have the most amazing numbers like Pleat and Kotz did, he was still very good that year. And I was just like, Luis, man. I'm sorry I forgot you existed. I wanted to shout you out. I now remember that you were on the 2005 team. James, who is your shout-out for? Uh, my shout-out is to my my CPU teammates uh, at uh, UCD Dublin. Um, you know, my four-goal, my four-game goal is streak as my creative player, a 15-year-old named Santiago Figan. It's not your guy's fault. You're creating chances. I'm in a funk. I don't know, like... Don't assume just because, yes, I'm the only, like, forward uh, in our stupid formation that our coach keeps running. The fact that I'm not scoring, it's on me. It's entirely on me. I don't know what's wrong with my shooting streak. You know, you guys are creating good opportunities for me. You know, yes, a lot of it, a lot of the four-game streak is, you know, taken up with the fact that I got red-carded 20 minutes into a game and, like, got suspended. And, you know, I, I, maybe I'm still finding my rhythm since coming back. But I, I just don't want to take the negativity that... Obviously, it's circulating through our, our team right now. The fact that we're in sixth place in the second division of Ireland. Uh, I, I don't want you guys to take it on yourselves. It's on me. It's all on me. And, the, you know, what being a leader about, even at 15 years of age, and uh, is it, about accepting the responsibility. And I, I, I take it all. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I love you. Uh, I trust in us. Uh, we're going to get through this. And it starts with me. I want to emphasize it's my fault. And I'm so sorry. So did you choose UCD Dublin, or are you there on loan? I, I chose them because their emphasis on player development gave me a lot of confidence. It was the best place for me to mature as a, as a young 15-year-old uh, hailing from Jamaica. <laughs> what is this, like the fifth straight episode that James's shout-out has had to do with FIFA, Cam? I mean, <laughs> James isn't kidding out Speaking of fifth, I had five goals in our Champions Cup tournament, so I'd like for us to remember that tournament performance and, and know that I can come back strong at some point just because league play has not gone as like we expected. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be back, guys. I'm sorry. Well, Santiago, we all believe in you, and we know that you will you will get your shit together and you will start finding the back of the net hopefully soon. Uh, and hopefully you'll be hearing from us again here soon. Uh, thank you for listening. And thank you again to Jason Benetti for joining us. It was it was really nice to have him on. And wow, James, we almost did an hour show. As a housekeeping note, it's uh, you would refer to me as a, as a member of the media, as Tiago, one name, uh, a, a solo uh, moniker that I've uh, created for myself. I'll, I'll, I'll make a note of it. Thank you. Right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.